Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit juviderm.com. Hey kids, you may have noticed that we didn't drop an episode this weekend because we recorded a spooky special for Halloween in which Indy Goodwin and I joined my husband Chris for an informal conversation about horror stories. This is a very lightly edited episode which includes spoilers for some of the stories we discuss, as well as content warnings for a lot of general horror themes. And, as always, probably some swearing. Hello, I'm Molly. And I'm Indy. And today we are not reading Melting Stones. <laughs> because today is Halloween. So we have a special Halloween special where we talk about Halloween literature because this is a literature podcast and this is Halloween. Brittany is out trick-or-treating with children. Goodwin is probably handing stuff out to trick-or-treaters who are children. We read books for children. So I feel like we should start with, do you have any favorite Halloween books for children? I don't know about like Halloween as a theme, but when I was a lot younger, I read... Hold on, let's see if I can find it so I can send you what it actually is. There was a book series called Bunicula. I my I think my fourth grade teacher read us Bunicula, but I have not read it since and I haven't read any of the other ones. But I do remember the rabbit like sucks the juice out of the vegetables. The other thing that I remember, and this is very random, is that the book, at least the first book, is narrated by the cat. Yes. I believe. And the the cat, at one point, being a cat, goes and, like, sees some, like, giant toy that's, like, swinging back and forth. And he wants to, like, bat at it and chase it. And he reaches his paw out and it smacks a piece of glass because it's the pendulum on the clock and there is a later scene where there's something else he's trying to paw at maybe that was i don't i i know that there's a scene there's a scene at some point where there's something he's trying to paw at where he covers his nose before he goes after it because he'd gotten hit in the face by something at some point so that these might be the same scene it might be he covers his nose and then his paw smacks into a piece of glass because it's the pendulum on the clock that's what i remember of Benicula. It has been so long since I read it. <laughs> but I, I love the idea of like narrating from the point of view of a cat. Yes. And I know that we've talked a lot this season about 
first person and third person narration so that's like a because it's a little complexity to add to our first person third person narration discussions this isn't just any first person it's the cat it's the cat's perspective who who wrote Benicula? um i have the wiki page pulled up it is the first installment was written by james and deborah howley after the sudden death of his wife in 17 or in 1978 wow 1798 is what my brain was reading that <laughs> not quite that old not quite that old uh, how he continued the project alone. The series consists of seven books published between 1979 and 2006. Deborah Howie died in June of 1978, months before the book saw first print. Aww. Oh, no, no, no. It's told from the perspective of their dog, Harold. Oh, okay. Okay, so I'm gonna finish reading the sign, like the the thing on it. Yes, those well, who not familiar. Yeah, the story focuses on the Monroe pets family and their pets, but is told from the perspective of their dog Harold. Benicula is the name of the family's pet rabbit, which the Monroes found at a theater during the showing of the film Dracula. Following the end of the Benicula series. Uh, James Howey began a spinoff series called Tales from the House of Benicula, which is, quote, written, <laughs> end quote, by uh, Howey, the Dutch and puppy who was introduced to this into the series in Howliday Inn. That's a fun <laughs> name, which is the second book in the series, I do believe. I might be wrong. Yeah. And there's also a series called Benicula and Friends, written to read which consists of six picture books about the adventures of the characters from the story uh yeah so these are like a third grade reading level like we're we're, we're talking these are kid books yeah well like i said i'm pretty sure i had them read to me by my fourth grade it may have been my third grade teacher actually but in elementary school we had a teacher read them out loud to us. Well, read the first one. Um, I never read any of the others. Tell me about your good feelings about Benicula. Okay, so one of the reasons why I have fond memories of this particular book series is because I love horror. Well, you know me well enough to know, like, yeah, I I love horror, especially in books scary movies aren't necessarily my thing but i like good horror um this was kind of an introduction to it i feel like you know that kind of first steps into because it, it segued pretty quickly into uh goosebumps and like mm -hmm. similar books of that nature um and now I'm reading shit like The Hollow Places and The Only Good Indians. Yeah. Ooh. <laughs> Someone described Kingfisher as cozy horror. Mm -hmm. And I love that. What makes a horror cozy? Ah, uh, hold on, I'll tell you. I, I mean, I've heard this like phrase going around, like cozy mysteries, and now there's cozy fantasy. And I'm like, ah. My genre is growing. The way I kind of see the the trend of cozy writing is it's all stuff that's super familiar, comfy, mm -hmm. like yeah. with certain elements that are, you know, fantasy for that right. or like. It's it's something that feels good, mm -hmm. which for cozy horror sounds really strange. Yeah, it sounds like an oxymoron. <laughs> um, they were specifically talking about the hollow places, 
when I saw the phrase cozy horror. And I think for that one specifically is you have a character that has a safe place and makes you feel safe in that place. You, it makes you as a reader feel safe in that place. And I think that's a lot of what it is, is like there's a place in it that is meant to make the reader feel comfortable and cozy. It's a place that they know. I like this description of like cozy stories as being something that has a lot of familiarity to it mm-hmm. in addition to like whatever the the like, genre is, you know, cozy mystery, cozy fantasy, mm-hmm. cozy horror, whatever. Because when I interviewed Ryan Hoyt, he asked me like, oh, is what you're writing, like, is that a cozy fantasy? And this was the first time I'd heard the phrase cozy fantasy. But like that description, I feel kind of fits my book because that's kind of the whole point is this is just like normal life plus magic tell me about goosebumps because this is a this is a phenomenon that has existed for a long ass time and I was never really a part of it I watched a little bit of the goosebumps show when I was a kid like when we were at my grandma's house because she was the one who had the channel for it but we didn't uh I never read any of the books I don't think so it's just like tell me about goosebumps again again i i started my love of horror pretty young it's a good win it's a good win i want your hoodie good one i have a question for you shoot did you ever read the goosebumps series parts of it i know i have read several books but i probably couldn't tell you which ones (laughs) Well, that's that is currently what we're discussing. Yeah, our our current topic is the Goosebumps books because I did not read them as a kid, oh. or just Goosebumps in general because I also didn't. Well, I watched a little bit of the TV show, but I, all I remember was like they go to like an amusement park and one of the rides they're like in coffins. Mm-hmm. Is this a Goosebumps? Oh, I don't know. I I didn't oh, watch I, much I, of the show. I'm directing I'm my. I'm directing my question to Indy. It could be, are you afraid of the dark? Because I watched the shit out of, are you afraid of the dark? I think it might be an, are you afraid of the dark? Oh, okay. I was thinking that it was a Goosebumps. Goosebumps and are you afraid of the dark? Horrorland. Canadian television. Horrorland. That's it. Is that a Goosebumps? I believe so. Yeah. There's something about it that like has a slightly different feel to it. That like this is goosebumps. It wasn't. Are you afraid of the dark? I love how we're discussing goosebumps. Like any of us actually like fully committed to goosebumps. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> I I read a good a good amount, but like I never watched the TV show. So I, I think I, I maybe saw the TV a couple. show because it was live action, and I was a precocious little child that only watched cartoons. <laughs> There's a uh, new TV show. There is, and it's actually pretty fucking good. I've been interested in watching it. It looks like fun. It's pretty good. Um, so, synopsis is they are combining several mm-hmm. books into a single plotline. It is it like yeah, it, and, it, right. and it's cool. It's really nice, interesting. Um, nice. they did. We've seen the first two episodes, which are Say Cheese and Die, which is Ooh. one of my favorite books. That's the haunted camera? Yeah. The one where I you... think I think, oh, you, yeah, you take pictures and then the pictures are like terrible things and then the terrible things happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think Are You Afraid of the Dark, but this might have been a Goosebumps, um, had a haunted typewriter where like you type things on the typewriter and it comes real uh and like this kid like writes horror stories so he keeps writing all these like horror stories and then all these terrible things are happening and i think at the end they like destroy the typewriter by like typing and then the typewriter blew up or something 
that sounds about right. Yeah, that that sounds a lot like that uh, that genre in general of kids horror. Man, I need to say one of my favorite horror stories. I know it was a Goosebumps book, but I have no idea what the name of it was. It was where, and I know this one wasn't live action because it had to be in in the medium of writing. But it's like a, it's like the story of a kid. Uh, and no, it's an alien on a planet and like all the authorities and stuff and all the people, all the, the humans on the planet are looking for this alien. They know it's out there and they're like, it's hideous and horrible and stuff. And at the end, the twist is that the alien is actually a human child. And like it's on an alien planet, so all the like characters that you're like the, the protagonists that are like trying to stop this monster are aliens. And it was like, whoa! That was my first taste of like, whoa! What a twist! What a crazy story that is. There is a Twilight Zone episode that's akin to that. It's like this woman who's like, I'm hideous, and she's like gone in for plastic surgery because she's so ugly. And uh, they're they're trying to like fix her face and they've tried a couple of times and it hasn't worked. And then they try again and they like undo all the wrappings and she has a human face and then everybody else has like pig faces. Yeah. And through the in in the uh, in the show, you just see like silhouettes or like just their feet or something. Um, I haven't I don't think I've seen the actual episode most my of sister face masks too oh that would make sense yeah so like all um, you can see is like their eyes and that's really it yes right. yes that's yes i have the beholder yeah. i have the beholder my my sister was in a stage production of the twilight zone when i was a kid and they did three staged versions of twilight did like three episodes of the twilight zone on stage and that was one of them and so they had uh they had like screens so so that everybody was behind screens except like the lady with the rags Mm -hmm. nice yeah that's a real fun way to do it yeah it was very cool yeah i wish i could remember what story that was but i don't know I vaguely remember reading a story similar. Um but now that we're we're we've we've mentioned Twilight Zone. <laughs> um I kind of want to talk about how older media influences particularly children's horror. Okay. Think about it. Like um the all of the different um renditions of like Dracula mm-hmm. like told like you've got like kid Dracula, you've got like Banicula, like you've got all of these renditions and retellings of this character right as all of these things frankenstein you have like frankenweenie and all of Mm -hmm. these what what is it about old horror movies that makes them so easy to transport into children's media nowadays I mean, I think part of it is because just because they're old. So a lot of people are familiar with them. They've lasted. So like, um, the, oh, this is this is a like, this is a, a classic story, right? It's a story that's lasted for a while um, because we do that with other old stories, right? Like I'm obsessed with Peter Pan. Do you know how many Peter Pan remakes and remixes there have been? Yeah, because it's an old story that's that people keep coming back to like, it's the the original has lasted as well so it's the same with like the original dracula the original frankenstein the original jekyll and hyde like people still enjoy reading those and i think adults often draw on things from their childhood or things that 
they have grown up with. So it makes sense that like somebody who read Dracula, even like as a teenager, as a young person would draw on Dracula. There is also something to be said for um, familiarity because a lot of fear comes from the unknown as opposed to something just being like inherently scary on its own. And because these stories are so old and so well-trodden and so well-traveled and so re-articulated time and time again, uh, there are still ways to make them scary. You can remix them and like change up some bits that will make it new and fresh and scary again. But because they're so worn and so well-known, they've lost some of that. And so it makes good, I don't know, fodder is not the word I want to use, but fodder is the best word that's coming to mind right now. It makes good children horror. Yeah. Because it's... I'm sorry, I have the hiccups. Uh, <laughs> um, it makes for something scary but low risk. Whereas, like, in a lot of more adult horror, like... Listen, I love Kingfisher. Like, you guys know my collection is enveloped by Kingfisher books. Um, But whereas something like Kingfisher in, say, Hollow Places, it takes familiar things and turns them scary right like i love dead things like i i like taxidermy i like bones Uh, that that's a thing i love otters and i like plants that book made me just kind of like start side-eyeing my uh fucking fern like Mm-hmm. Mm. Stay over there, buddy. <laughs> I don't trust it. I don't trust you anymore. But yeah, I, I, I kind of like that idea of children's horror literature draws from the familiar to make it less scary, but a lot of adult horror draws on things that are familiar to also make them scary. Yeah. yeah. I think also children's literature, I mean, not that children's literature is the only stuff that parodies, but I feel like there's a lot, like a lot of parody, a lot of parody in children's literature, if only to make it like also more accessible to adults And Mm -hmm. if you're going to parody, then you want to use things that are very familiar. You want to use things that are tropey because that's what makes a good parody. Because like Frankenweenie is kind of a parody in a way. And so that wouldn't work as well if it was a new book that people weren't very familiar with. Yeah. So you talked about kind of like your horror roots. I'm going to talk about mine um, because... I have always had like a very love-hate relationship with horror stories. Um, I get scared very easily. I've always gotten scared very easily. I still get scared very easily. Um, but I also kind of like that feeling of like the hair on the back of my neck slowly raising up. And when I was a little kid, I used to sometimes like do things to purposely kind of psych myself out just so I could feel it because it feels really cool. Um, Of course, then usually I would be freaked out for the rest of the night. So it didn't help. Uh, I mean, you you gave yourself goosebumps. I did. I did. I didn't read a lot of horror stories, I think, as a kid. I've since discovered a lot of horror that I like, but I'm very persnickety about it. There's a lot in the genre that I don't like, and there's a lot that I do like. Um, so I kind of have to depend depend on people to sort of recommend me stuff, people who know me, and they're like, oh, yes, you will like this. You won't like that. But um, the, the horror story that I distinctly remember reading as a kid is Jade Green. 
by I pulled it up so I could find out who wrote it. Uh Phillips I Reynolds Naylor. Yeah. Who's actually like a really big uh YA writer, or at least was like has a lot of books. Um I didn't I never remember that that was the person who wrote it. I just this book always stuck with me. I read it in sixth grade, scared the pants off of me, but it stuck with me and it was a good story. And it is basically like this girl, I think, goes to visit like a relative. I have it pulled up so I can check. Uh, okay, so according to this, she's going to stay with her uncle in South Carolina. And uh, her uncle lives in this like big fancy house and there's kind of like nobody there so it's this big empty old house which is a great setting for a nice spooky story and she's told she can't bring anything green into the house before she breaks the rule and we and so this like sort of summons a ghost because there was another girl who lived in the house previously who was named Jade Green. And the story is that she killed herself by chopping her hand off with a butcher's cleaver, um, which is significant because the ghost of Jade Green is a disembodied hand. Um, and so super creepy. <laughs> um, and I don't know. I, I recently finished reading the the Hacienda by Isabel Canas, and it's a gothic horror story that takes place in Mexico. And I realized how much I love gothic horror. Like I love Jane Eyre. I love Crimson Peak. It's been a while since I've seen Northanger Abbey and I haven't actually read it, but I'm sure that I enjoyed that one as well. And I realized Jade Green was my first gothic horror story. It takes place in this old creepy house and it's very empty. There's a ghost in it. Um, and there are certain, I think there are certain other patterns that sort of gothic horror often follows. And gothic horror is one of those genres that like, you kind of don't necessarily know how it's going to go. A lot of it ends up okay in the end, but like, I think it can go all to shit <laughs> or at least like even if it ends up okay it's like sort of okay like we live like like maybe the main character lives but somebody else really important died or like it's very clear just how traumatized the main character is um and like really like plays that up um but yeah it's it it's you can't be totally certain of how the ending's gonna swing. I just discovered that I really, really like gothic horror in particular. And I think that's because I read this book as a kid and I really enjoyed it, even though it also scared the pants off of me. What about you, Goodwin? I wish I had more literary references to horror. Mm -hmm. Like, I won't say unfortunately, but you know, it's maybe not super fitting for the podcast, but uh Horror video games were really what like kind of oh cool got me interested yeah. in horror. Um, the second video game system that I ever had was a PlayStation One, and I think I was like ten, eleven at the time. And one of the first games that I ever played, aside from like Mario sixty four and Donkey Kong, was fucking Resident Evil Two. <laughs> my parents didn't know they couldn't read english it's got an eyeball and the letter two on the cover like how bad could it be real bad you're 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 a cop you're leon kennedy in raccoon city it's infested with zombies among other things uh and it's not child appropriate but god i love that game <laughs> that kind of got me set to like love zombies for like basically my entire life that's kind of the big like thing that I'm kind of that I've kind of always been into. Um, 
like that, uh, playing Dead Space, um, Resident Evil 3, Resident Evil 4. 4 was less spooky, more action-y, but I guess they kind of kept going that way. But um, I have to ask then, have you played the original Resident Evil? No, I actually have not. It is... Uh, Worse than two, though, so I feel like I'm not really missing out. Like, <laughs> I don't Resident... know anything about it. I just had to ask since we're like Resident Evil Two, Resident Evil Three, Resident Evil Four. <laughs> yeah, they're they've made remakes of it. It's just not a very. Uh, it all takes place in one house, like a big mansion, if I remember correctly. Mm. It shows um, age. Yeah, it the controls are weird. It, it it's mm. not. Yeah. I, I kind of lucked out with playing like the the, the best one. Mm. Yeah, it sounds like age. it's my kind of spooky story if it takes place all in a big mansion. But I don't usually play video games. <laughs> yeah, and it's 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 just kind of hard. It's just a hard game to. Yeah. But yeah, video games were always my my jam. I it's hard for me to get scared. I guess since I was kind of desensitized to it as a kid. <laughs> Like like horror movies don't spook me. Reading hardly ever spooks me. There's one story though that really got under my skin that I'll get to. But yeah, after video games, I mean horror movies. I watched Jeepers Creepers as a kid. I watched oh like, my god, Halloween, Aliens, uh, Predator, like all every every schlocky eighties nineties like horror movie. I watched it mm-hmm. like. You you bring up Jeepers Creepers and my brain just goes to like so we we were a horror movie franchise house mm-hmm. when I was growing up. Like the Halloween films, mm-hmm. uh Freddy, Jason, otherwise. Jason. Yeah, Jason was huge. The first scary movie I ever watched was in two thousand. Okay. So it has been 23 years since I <laughs> saw my very, very first horror movie. I was nine, nine years old, and my dad let me watch The Blair Witch Project. Oh, hell yeah. <laughs> I still have never seen The Blair Witch Project. I remember when it was like a really big deal. Yeah, but... but- this is when it still was kind of being circulated as true events because that actually happened where where, where people circulated it as a documentary rather than yeah it was the very beginning of found that was like not obviously mm-hmm. not the first found film movie but that but, was what but made probably the first, the first big one, one. Yeah. yeah yeah um so everyone was like i've never seen something like this did they actually find these tapes on the ground however many years after this happened like yeah it was it was a it was a phenomenon yeah interesting but we watched uh the blair witch project and pitch black starring men diesel oh i have seen pitch black we we (laughs) had a back-to-back marathon of those two movies it's interesting i don't think of pitch black as a horror movie it's not i mean it is it, it that is it's such an interesting like because well, it is an action movie but it deals a lot with it deals it's a like, lot it's like weird. aliens it's like aliens i would yeah. put it in the yeah. same category as i would put the movie poseidon which is a movie about a ship that crashes at sea and like as it's flooding and sinking people are trying to escape to higher and higher levels until they find an escape boat um and that it's a it's a thriller yeah 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 because yeah. i thought it, i think of it as like an action sci-fi because it's like yeah. another part. it, it um, with a lot of fear elements it plays yeah. fear. and mm-hmm. that it, it makes sense to have it in a horror movie marathon right but it's not yeah, a but- horror but it's not really a horror movie. Like this is one of the things that I think is so interesting about horror. And you could probably say this with other genres too. Like I can totally get into this conversation with fantasy, like sort of what classifies horror. But I think one of the things that makes it interesting for me is 
I talk about this movie all the freaking time because I love it. And if you are listening to this, you should go track it down and watch it. There is a documentary on American horror films called Nightmare in Red, White, and Blue. And I saw this in college because they had like two different series of films that are like on campus movie theater. One was like big blockbusters and the other was like niche films. And I got the like the semester long movie pass to all the niche films. And so I just saw everything that they showed. And one of them was this this horror movie, this documentary on horror movies. That was when I learned that I do like horror. I just don't like modern, most modern American horror because it's really violent. Um, But they kind of go into this sort of like, I guess really what it is, is that documentary takes a very broad definition of horror. So they describe the first horror movie as the like movie where the like person's tied the train tracks and the train is coming. Hmm. So like, this is the first horror movie. Which, like, a lot of us probably wouldn't look at and go, oh, that's a horror movie. But they're like, this is a horror movie because it's about fear, like you said. And at one point, they actually talked about the phenomenon of audiences, like people like me, who don't like American horror because it's gotten so violent. And so people are starting to seek horror films from other countries and they mentioned Pan's Labyrinth which is one of my all-time favorite movies and also a movie that I don't like immediately think of as a horror story but it's very dark and like I'm sorry you say that you don't immediately think of it as horror and like that is one of those movies that I'm like that ticks all of the horror boxes for me yeah see I think of it as a dark fantasy that's fair but yeah. like you said that and it threw me off for a second i'm sorry <laughs> but no but but that was like i was like oh i never thought it like pan's labyrinth is a horror movie maybe i do like horror and i love the devil's backbone which is like sort of like the companion film was made a few years earlier it takes place a few years earlier um and that one like nobody would really argue with fitting it into the horror genre because it's a ghost story I love The Orphanage, which is another ghost story that Guillermo del Toro also did. I already mentioned Crimson Peak. Have you figured out that I'm a Guillermo del Toro fan? I was going to say, <laughs> I mean, sounds like there's a theme here. <laughs> the man listen. does good work. Del Toro the Orphanage del- is also one of those retellings of Peter Pan, by the way, which is all the more reason that I like it, though it's probably the one I've seen the least. Mm. Yeah. That bums me out thinking about Guillermo del Toro uh, because he was working on a Silent Hills remake with Norman Reedus Mm -hmm. like five or six years ago that got cancelled. No, no, it was was like, god, I'm old. Like 10, 12 years ago. Um, I'm going to have to look it up. I actually don't know the time. It was a a while back. Uh, That was going to be like so fucking big and like Mm -hmm. They made a playable teaser for it that was actually creepy and spooky and scary and disturbing. And it was like 20 minutes long. And then Konami just like said, oh, we're not doing that anymore. Gone. Bad day. And then it became the funky fetus simulator. (laughs) (laughs) Norman Reedus and the funky fetus. There is a reason why... Uh, Blade 2 is my favorite of the series. Del Toro directed Blade 2. Or, How and, did I not know that? Yeah. That's insane. It's so good. Listen, objectively, like, Blade 2 is the best of the series. Yes. My favorite, however, is Trinity for petty reasons. <laughs> uh, why, why is that? Because was it Ryan Wesley, Reynolds? Wesley Snipes was such a prick the entire time. Would not come out. 
would not record with people would just like like there are so many shots of him standing off by himself and that's because he refused to work with any of them uh so all of the shots where you see like see blade in blade trinity it's the fucking body double it is it is the stunt man standing in I for I remember hearing something about that, but I completely forgot about that. It's so like the reason it's my favorite is because I can't stop laughing. There are so many moments that I just laugh because it's like, oh my <laughs> god, you petty bitch. But objectively, been, yeah. the best one is Blade Two. I I agree. Yeah, like you can't change my mind. That is, I will I will say the most iconic scene though is literally like the first scene from the first movie the nightclub like blood yeah shower is like peak peak mm, mm, yeah mm, mm. so good yeah so good but yeah yeah two is definitely the best my favorite horror movie is also my least favorite horror movie yeah Mm -hmm. uh chernobyl diaries Molly's heard the story too many times. Um, I don't remember which one it is, but yeah, is this is this the one with the like rabid raccoon that gets out or no, something? No, no, no. Okay, that's a different one. That, that's the, that's the most up. convoluted sci-fi zombie plot of all time. <laughs> Twenty-eight days later. No, uh, I I'll tell that one as well. Okay. Um, Chernobyl Diaries is about a group of fucking American tourists that are, you know. 23-year-old white kids poster stars of I will not survive in any kind of survival situation (laughs) that take a trip to Chernobyl and it starts off with all these beautiful shots uh, during the day they're exploring and then their car breaks down and the guy starts freaking out and the sun starts to set and all these radioactive malnourished like wolves and bears and shit start like hunting them through the city in the twilight hours and it's fucking creepy and amazing and then it gets about 45 minutes in and you start seeing humanoid shapes stalking them in the background and it's like oh there are some survivors of chernobyl that have gone radioactive and feral this is cool and then about an hour in zombies oh and it just (laughs) both of those mixed up it's only an hour and a half long movie by the way (laughs) it's worse god the 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 intro sounds awesome like it is it is beautifully shot Mm -hmm. it is genuinely creepy being hunted by radioactive animals and then it's even creepier when like the idea of feral humans that are still sentient are stalking the party because like there's a scene where like they're walking down a dark street and like one of the street lights flickers on and you see a person and the light goes back out and when it flickers back on the person's gone in the yeah. background and like shots like that are great and mm-hmm. it builds up this slow intense thing and then like in the last tiny chunk of the movie it's just like oh by the way it's zombies here have this bloated corp carcass of a baby that's trying to eat your face off yeah so there's that one. <laughs> I just it is my favorite horror movie and my least favorite horror movie because it does everything so well right up until it doesn't. Like just um, being chased by feral radioactive animals would be sick. Yeah. It doesn't uh, have to be zombies. Wait, when did the, this come the, out, you say? Like Huh? When did it when did this come out? Like twenty twelve or so? Like right after we finished high school. So I'd say that was close to peak zombie, right? Yeah. Like in that's probably that, why that was the height of the zombie culture era. That that might be why they shoehorned in zombies at the end. Probably. That's um anyway, the most convoluted zombie plot was a was a sci-fi original movie where uh the establishing shot was a military base where they're like show the military like experimenting on humans and creating the ultimate super soldier or whatever. Spoiler alert, it's zombies. Um, there's a there's a uh some children, like teenagers or whatever, 
decide to play a prank and destroy the local substation. I'm not even kidding. But it's okay. The military base has precautions. They've got backup generators and so the electric fence keeps going, etc., etc. Only for one of the guards to drop their keys so it gets lodged in a fan belt and stops one of the generators. But it's okay. Uh, only a small section of the fence stops being electrified and it's a fairly strong fence so the zombies can't push it over. However, a raccoon gets in through like a flap in the, the chain link gets bitten, escapes through the flap in the chain leak, gets into the city, a homeless man catches it, breaks its neck, and cooks it and eats it, and he's the first zombie to escape the, the military complex. My Why God. does this sound fucking familiar? I don't know. It was a sci-fi original movie from, like, Dad, 2008 or so. That's probably... Dad and I used to watch sci-fi all the time. What was the sci-fi original movie... About the elevator that turned out actually to just be a remake of like some foreign film, the lift or something like that. It was like a haunted elevator. Yeah, yeah. Because TK was telling us about some some like horror movie, and then you were like, "Wait a minute, I've seen this movie, and like you've seen like the American remake." And TK saw the yeah, and he saw Uh... the original, which is a some foreign film. But apparently the remake is like word for word the original just with American accents. Up to and including the opening scene being about a blind man being like, Can I can I see you to his handler and like touching her face and then groping her and then her just being okay with it? Because apparently that's that's what (laughs) handlers do. Whack. I was gonna say that does remind me of the plot to one of the greatest zombie movies ever. 28 days later, where it's like PETA activists break into an animal testing lab and they're like, free all the animals, dude. We gotta rescue all the animals. You're being treated harshly, man. And they, uh, like, open the gate to, like, a chimpanzee and then it, like, starts mauling them and, like, tearing their faces off. And, like, yeah, obviously they were testing something on it and it Zombies. Everybody turns into zombies, and or not not zombies. A vir- virulent type of rabies is what it was. But yeah, but fast zombies. zombies. Fast zombies. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, no. That is the opening to the worst zombie movie ever made. It it's only it the way I describe it. It sounds like it's like a half hour long. It's only like ten minutes, maybe five. That all of this <laughs> happens in like rapid fire succession. My God. That, that is very but like this is just a series of the worst the worst conceived coincidences leading to a zombie outbreak yeah and then of course our plucky heroes for this movie are the shitty teenagers that sabotage the substation of course oh <laughs> there's one other horror story that scared the pants off of me as a kid goodwin might be familiar with this i mean i wouldn't be surprised if all of you are but goodwin's the one who's gonna have the most familiarity i guess i'm guessing uh, which is La Llorona. Mm, yep. So, you just said that because I'm brown. <laughs> I know specifically you are from or your family is from the area of the world where La Llorona is a common story. Yes. Uh, but that's also <laughs> that's also why I heard it growing up because I grew up in New Mexico. So New Mexico is also part of the world where La Llorona is a common story. Mm. Um, for those of you who aren't from New Mexico and don't know the story of La Llorona, the version that I heard anyway, because there's obviously variations, is that lady gets married, has kids, uh, husband cheats on her, and she decides to take revenge on him by drowning the kids. They're also familiar with this. Mm-hmm. Only to realize that this was a bad idea because she's drowned her own children. And she like she tosses the kids into the river. And then she starts running down the river, calling for her kids, trying to get them out. And then she slips on a rock, cracks her head open and dies. And now her ghost haunts the river, calling for her children. That version, there's actually nothing malicious about it. It's not like, ooh, the ghost is going to get you. But it scared the pants off of me as a child. I was probably in like first or second grade. We had a lot of, like, we'd have guest speakers come and we had a lot of storytellers come 
and storytellers from like different cultures. Cause I know we also had a Navajo storyteller come tell us like coyote stories. One of the people who came told us like ghost stories. This may or may not have been the same person who sort of like taught us what you do if you meet a ghost and like right. what you're supposed to say to them. Um, but somebody told us the story of La Llorona. So it's always stuck with me. And now I teach Latino kids. I sometimes do a unit where we talk about like folktales and my many of my Latino kids will bring up La Llorona. And I'm always like, yeah, that's the one that terrified me growing up. And it's a spooky one. One that fucked me up as a kid that was like actually scary and like mm-hmm. kind of ruined everything else for me. Uh, this is a this is an, this is a a classic one. Um, it's like, it's more of a cartoon, or a, it's a manga. It's a manga. Uh, it's a cartoon. <laughs> uh, it's <laughs> it's uh by Junji Ito. Oh God, which one? The Enigma of Amigara Fault. Oh, one of my favorite like short stories of all time. And it's yeah. Junji Ito is is such a uh, talented visual artist. Like his stories are spooky, but it's the visuals in his stories that make it yeah so much he... worse. His stuff focuses a lot on body horror, and this is no exception. Yeah. Uh, so I guess maybe trigger warning. I don't know. Uh, so it's a story that somewhere in Japan, uh, at some some it's just it doesn't specify where someplace in japan an earthquake happens and a big fault opens up on amigara mountain and it's known as the amigara fault and it's you just see one side and it's just a cliff face full of holes and these holes are shaped just like people people just people like the outlines of people and they got like scientists showing up and like researchers and they're like looking in and like seeing that like the entrance of these holes is kind of shaped in a certain way to where stuff goes in and it's hard to come back out and they're they're just perfectly shaped like people and they're like you know is this a natural formation who had the technology to make this like i think they can only go in so far like maybe 15 feet before they start to contort a little bit and you can't really go through any further uh, and this guy shows up who's kind of been having nightmares and he shows up to this place like hiking and like a bunch of other people show up and newscasters and everyone's like, oh, check out this weird fault full of holes shaped like people. And um, he meets this girl there who also just kind of had an urge to like show up and be there. And they're like, they can't explain it. They don't know why, but they just knew they had to be there. Eventually, the the girl looks around and sees and she's like, that's my hole. I need to go in there. That's for me. And the guy's like looking at her and it's like, that's weird. And it's like, it really does kind of look like you. But she just has this like incessant urge, like to just be like, hey, I that's my hole. I, I need to go in there. Like I, I need to go in there. And they're just like, no, that's a bad idea. Like, why would you just put yourself in a random hole just because it's shaped like you? But he also kind of has this feeling in the back of my head and it's like, it kind of is for her. Like, why, why wouldn't she go in the hole? But they end up kind of blocking up the hole with rocks and like trying to shove it closed to like make sure she doesn't go in there. And he ends up having he ends up camping out out there and having another nightmare, um, where it's like some previous civilization. He had done a crime so heinous that he had to he was being forced into this hole that was made for him. So. At that point, you can kind of tell that, you know, this is, it was designed for a purpose and it seems to be punishment. And so he wakes up, he looks for his friend. She's not around. He goes to the hole where she was at night and she, he sees that all the rocks have been dug out. Uh, she's nowhere to be found. Uh, and then as he's kind of looking around, um, he spots another hole and he sees it immediately and realizes that's my hole. I, I need to go in there. That's that's my hole. He eventually just he just kind of thinks like, yep, I'm supposed to go in there. That's my hole. And he just goes in there and you don't see him again. He kind of disappears into the darkness. 
And then it kind of skips ahead. I think it's a month or two, a couple of months. Uh, and some scientists right. have found like the opposite end of where the fault like like ends, like another cliff face. And it's it's hard to describe, but instead of it's just squiggles. They're big, kind of star-shaped squiggles, like like 10, 15 feet wide. And it's like one squiggle like that, and one squiggle like this, one squiggle like that, one like that, one like that. And they're like, so these appear to be the end of the, the, the holes, but we're not really sure what's going on here. Like, what's what's happening? Or like, why? Why they look like that? And then like one of the researchers kind of like thinks he hears something. And he like looks inside one of the holes and puts his flashlight to it. And you just see these, I mean, absolutely horrendous, grotesque shapes of what used to be people. And they're like slowly squishing down through the hole. Their bodies just distorted completely into not human shapes anymore. And just going like grr, grr, grr as they're like squishing through. And it's... like, it's bad. It's awful. Yeah. Um, it, but it's not gory. It's not bloody. It's not like violent per se, but it is. It's body horror. Body. Yeah. Yeah. We we mentioned Junji Ito, and I have to state because you know, I think Junji Ito is amazing. He's a neat human being. He has all of these ideas that are genuinely terrifying when put into action but you know a lot of people are like oh yeah it's a commentary on this about human nature or like this and he's like no i just thought like you know sharks sharks are scary but you don't really see them in the ocean like you see them in the ocean so you know you know not to go in the ocean you don't deal sharks and i thought what if sharks had legs on land on land <laughs> that'd be real scary legs. <laughs> <laughs> so like, like that's that's his thought i mean like there there is some deeper thought to it but yeah no it's essentially just like what if sharks had legs that'd be pretty fucked up yo this begs the question has he written anything about a mantis shrimp I don't know. To be honest, I don't think so. Speaking of horrors about mantis shrimps and anime, even well, manga, but whatever. The last uh, one of those that made me scared was Terraformers or Terraformars, depending <sighs> on how you want to read the title. Yes, <laughs> they Jesus they Christ. they terraform Mars by sending cockroaches and moss to Mars, uh. and. The cockroaches very, very quickly evolved to overtake humans on the food chain. Oh, fun! The first, the first part of the series is the more true horror-y aspect because it's a bunch of baseline humans that don't realize they're being hunted by an army of giant seven-foot-tall cockroaches, and that part's really scary and fun. And then the second part of the series is they implant people with a bunch of bug mutations to make to have them be able to better fight the cockroaches and then it gets kind of campy and weird mm. but one of those mutations is the mantis shrimp and he can just like obliterate anything with a punch <laughs> yeah uh, anyway, that was my segue yeah i i love terraformers because like yeah the, the cockroaches are seven feet tall and they they have like the strength of a cockroach that is also seven feet tall so it's just like they're super fucking fast. They're super fucking strong. Like a normal human cannot stand against these things. Like, yeah, which is why I guns. love the first like quote unquote season the most because it's a bunch of baseline humans that think that they are going to this newly terraformed planet, and it's it's a horror show. <laughs> what happens to them? Yeah, they do not stand a fucking chance. We we will stop our Halloween horror discussion here. But if this was fun. We can make this a tradition. We can do this again next year. That's good. Yeah. Good seeing you. That's my recommendation is uh Chernobyl Diaries. Just know that the ending sucks. <laughs> my my go-to horror recommendation for everyone is Housebound. Oh <gasps> yes. Pontypool is too. So 
but I think I usually recommend Housebound before Pontypool. But House Housebound is perfect no matter what your level of horror is. If you love horror, watch Housebound. If you're not much of a horror fan, watch Housebound. It's Housebound great. is about the girl on house arrest in her mother's yes. house. Yes. Yeah. It's a New Zealand film. She's on house Phenomenal. arrest. Best twist ever. My my worst suggestion is it is a slasher movie so be aware before you even start um it is a mockumentary called uh behind the mask the rise of leslie vernon um it is a comedic horror that is hilarious until all of a sudden it's not and it it does flip on a dime and i mean it is just so good the characters are for it like really well done um i'm a huge fan of leslie who is the like actual slasher i don't feel like that's a spoiler because it's the rise of leslie vernon um yeah and it is it is a modeled after very classic horror like slasher horror i should say so do recommend that also recommend housebound that movie yeah. is amazing yeah. <laughs> the, the other one is pontypool pontypool is a more traditional horror movie but also if i say anything about pontypool it's going to give everything away other than the entire movie takes place inside a radio station which is great but yeah yes, those are like my two go-to horror films pontypool and housebound pontypool like if you're not super into horror, maybe, maybe not. But Housebound, everybody. Good one. Uh, my two for a serious one, I would say Night of the Living Dead, the original Night of the I Living Dead. I need to see that one still, too. Good, such, good, solid choice. Such a good story. It's old enough to where the gore isn't as bad as, like, you might, you know, I, I think people that hate scary movies could deal with it. It, it is all Hershey's chocolate syrup in the movie. And the story is just really fucking good. Like, the ending hits like a fucking truck. And it is so, so good. Yeah. Uh, for a more goofy choice, I would say the 2004 remake of Dawn of the Dead, one of my favorite zombie movies of all time. It features the best rendition of Down with the Sickness. It's by Richard <laughs> Cheese. It's my yes. favorite fucking song at karaoke. Uh, the movie's fucking amazing. The effects are good. It's shot well, um, except for the end. Uh, it, it's such a good movie. I love it. Also, if you look up Dawn of the Dead on Google right now, it'll have little zombies chasing a man, which is hilarious. Really? Casey, yeah. At the top of the page, it has three little zombies chasing the dude. I just everybody goes to Google. Yeah, it might not work after Halloween, but. Oh, oh, it does. Oh, that's great. Don't ask me I why. Know. I literally had to look it up to remember which remake was. Yeah, but yeah, it's a 2004 Dawn of the Dead remake. That's beautiful. Yeah, very good movie. I love it. Um, but yeah. I say we do this again next Halloween. Yes. And maybe we'll talk about these films or others. Who knows? Yeah. Reading Circle Temple is produced by us, Molly, Brittany, Indy, and Goodwin. If you like the show, tell your friends about us. If you don't like the show, tell your enemies. You can also help people find us by leaving a rate and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Find all our episodes at our new home on ACAST, shows.acast.com slash Reading Circle Temple. Shake it us. We'd love to hear from you. Send us an email at templeofreadingcircle at gmail.com. You can also follow Reading Circle Temple on Instagram, Tumblr, and Facebook. And you can join our Reading Circle Temple Facebook group. To find us on Twitter, tweet at Reading Temple. A special thanks to Yellow is for Happy for our artwork. You can find more of their art by following Yellow is for Happy Draws on Tumblr and Shannon and Draws on Instagram. Another special thanks to Brittany's brother, Thomas Dick, for our theme music. You can find more of his music by following Thomas Dick on SoundCloud. Thanks to Tamara Pierce for writing The Circle of Magic, and thanks to you for listening. Let's all have coffee next week.
I was like making a list of horror stories. I was like, oh, we're going to talk about like favorite spooky stories. Uh oh. I'm like, La Llorona. Uh, La Llorona. I have no idea. And then it just started coming and there was a whole list. And I was like, oh, oh, I have lots of material. So. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you.